Karina, thank you so much for being here and thank you for doing this. And oh my gosh, like we both said, it took us a little bit to get to this actual moment. So I actually am very present how special this moment is that you and I are here having this conversation. And I'm really excited for this because this is going to be a little different. We've had doctors and chiropractors and we've had people who've shared their own health journeys in particular supplement companies we've you know we've stayed in the genre predominantly of the health field and i'm really excited to have this conversation with an artist great so thanks for being here i'm happy to be here yeah yeah and i want to dive into this like to me art is sacred art is a special particular medium and i as a practitioner and a doctor can see art as a modality of healing but i want to hear it from you and what your experience is but tell us a little bit about you and just what artwork you're into what your mediums are and and just a little background okay great well i'm karina sephora i currently live in atlanta georgia i grew up in new hampshire and maine my parents are from new york city and i think my upbringing had a big part in i would say like the process part my love of process in art I went to what's called Waldorf School, which is uh, Rudolf Steiner. And, yep, um, so did I. Must be where we connected. <laughs> okay. Did I know that? We knew that. I don't know. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I know Jennifer Dolphin is involved and we, we both knew her. So a lot about, you know, then working with your hands and then there's Eurythmy. And so there's this sort of body, mind and spirit that's all encompassing. And Rudolf Steiner was actually very good friends with a very well-known artist named Joseph Boyce. Joseph Boyce would make those chalkboards and they would say, like, like everybody is an artist or, you know, something like that over and over and over again. And so for me, you know, growing up, my family was very intentional about, we'll call it like living off the land. We grew our vegetables, we provided vegetables for other communities, and we had home-built houses, you know. I can remember the very first time connecting my dad making a drawing he was dra at a drafting table and he was drawing the blueprints for a house that he was going to build out of recycled materials and then inside of Waldorf school there was weaving before weaving there was like gathering the wool and cleaning the wool and spinning the wool into yarn and then you know with drop spindles or you know you know potato spindles you name it and then weaving it or crocheting it so that whole process right from the sheep to the loom right and so at a very early age i really connected like all of life through working with my hands and creating also at an early age you know my father he he was at yale in theater and set design but then very consciously chose to live off the land and you know do all of this with organic vegetables is way before his time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I knew I wanted to go, I was always encouraged, Karina, you can do whatever you want as long as you put yourself into it and you focus on what you want to create in life, you can make that happen. And I learned about welding. So, so my specialty, you asked me this, my yeah. specialty in art is metal sculpture, specifically blacksmithing and welding. I really prefer non-ferrous materials. And what that means is like, metal that doesn't rust stainless steel copper bronze back going back a little bit in high school I started doing jewelry metal smithing and there was a particular moment and even back before that on this farm my dad would oftentimes build things and he had a welder I called it the electric lightning you know I had my own little lens 
So mm-hmm. at age five, I'd be there with my dad in the barn and he'd be, or the garage actually, you know, and he'd be welding parts that he was going to make a sawmill out of recycled parts from a car. And he said I was helping him, but I think really I just mostly got in the way and sometimes I'd hold something and scream a bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, and I never learned anything about welding then. What I learned is that it was okay to be around that stuff, hmm. right? Not very traditional for young girls. But then again, I grew up in a very non-traditional household and encouraged to be an artist, you know? Yeah, yeah. So to just pull in here, as an artist, how do you see, this is going to be like kind of the, I'm going to start with like the dumb question, but maybe it's yeah. the question, which is, yeah. How can you see art as a healing modality? Great. Yeah, that was a long background. I so, loved it. No, and especially because I'm a Waldorf kid. So I'm like, we had a loom. I'm like, we didn't get to go get the wool from the sheep. How come you guys got to go get the wool? But we did pick the apples and then we mushed the apples and then we made the cider. So we did that part, you know, so, but yes, it was very, and there was a guy that built a canoe right in the middle of our school so we could watch it. And like, we had a clay area and we had this block building area and we had a woodworking area and all, all of the hands-on components. And I turned out to become a naturopath and you became a metal metal smith. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I forgot the dyeing of the wool, gathering mushrooms. Ah, yes. Yeah. Bringing those in indigo and yeah. Yeah. It was really like for me, you know, I, I don't really work in fibers. Once in a while, I do a little tiny bit here and there in my mixed media work, but mostly it's painting and metal sculpture are the main main things. But as far as like the healing, you know, your first actual question here, when I went with the whole background, about almost three years ago, this December will be three years ago, my, my mother passed away. Now, it wasn't a surprise, right? She had bone marrow cancer and she... She was sick for almost seven, seven years. And so we knew that she was going to pass at some point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of very specific moments inside of what I would call art as healing. But I'm just trying to think of like which one to share first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, the relationship with my mom, for one thing, you know, we, we weren't always close. My dad raised me. My parents separated as young. My mom lived elsewhere. And it wasn't until I was 40 years old that we really developed a close relationship um, through me practicing my own personal growth training and workshops, which is how we met through that. And, and that was where I really gave up that there was anything ever wrong, right? And, and we just created this beautiful close relationship with each other. So we had that background of relatedness that was really extraordinary. I've been waiting my whole life for and then we had these five years that were intensely close and uh, probably crammed 35 years worth of missed relationship into five years. So leading up to my mother's passing, she, she was a writer. She was a poet. And, and she, one of her dreams was to publish her works. She called it her memoirs. And so she was compiling her work all the way back to the 80s, right? And uh, but kind of trying to make it perfect before she let it out. And so... So one thing that was very creative and healing was really getting in there with her and her poetry. Mm. And she'd written a couple poems about me, you know, specifically. So six days before she passed, I got the idea to just record her sharing her poetry. And just, we laid around, I can remember we laid on the couch and just, I'd read from her poems to her. 
and she read her poems and I recorded them with the video of my iPhone. It was very low quality. Yeah. But lately I, I use those for things. And we talked about her publishing her work and it became clear at a certain point she wasn't going to be able to do it. And she was passing on how this would be done. And so I offered to make some paintings to go with her poems. And so, uh, gosh, the healing goes so far, so deep, right? Yeah. My mom was also adopted, and we did a DNA test uh, within the year before she passed. And so we found this new relative that was her half-sister. And she's this, like, massively published author. And so when she found out her sister that she'd never known her whole life was a writer but couldn't wow. find anything published, she took it on also as, like, something that was important. Like, let's get her work out there. Yeah. So after, so before my mom passed, I offered to illustrate her. So that was one very healing process to just go through and read all of these poems. I mean, it was over a hundred pages of poetry and, and prose wow. and short stories. And I did the project. I've become, I've created a friendship with her sister and she laid out for me, I needed the biography. I needed the dedication. I needed the, we had another friend of hers. that's a famous writer to write the foreword the index, you know, just all of this stuff. And we compiled them. She helped me compile them into chapters. So just that whole process of reading my mom's poetry and like being inside of her, her brain and her, her heart and her soul, right. Was really extraordinary and having the opportunity, you know, I'll never forget the look on her face when I said, I'll illustrate your book. And she was like, really? You know, mind you, it was the same day that she was, having her final birthday party this was september before the november that we had the last visit oh and um, at the birthday party she read a mary oliver poem when death comes mm-hmm. and um, we had a gathering of her friends and i made a cake i make cake sculptures well uh, I, I don't make them that often anymore but they're, mm-hmm. it's, it's an all-day affair but so i yeah. made this cake and you know anyhow and so there was this line in the mary oliver poem and it's something to the extent of i'd rather be i'd rather that I live my life a bride married to amazement. So in the same day, in the same set of conversations, you know, of her having this final, we knew it was her final birthday party, you know, all, you know, the, the macabre poem when death comes, but that line married to amazement. So she asked if I'd make a gravestone for her, a grave sculpture. Wow. And my mom was buried in a very non-traditional setting she's buried on the side of llama mountain where that book be here now was written and uh-huh. ramdas my mom was also a sufi yeah so she said will you make some metal flowers and then she says will you will you write on on the stone elaine sutton married to amazement and she got a giggle out of that because she wasn't like physically married right but it was her way of i mean she insisted on this view she's a mountain climber you know yeah uh, backpacker, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, yeah. so that's a little bit about all that. So that was, I have to say it was one of the hardest projects to do, you know, cause after she had passed and within the year after we did the memorial. Yeah. So I can remember laying it out and having to do these technical things that I'm used to doing for clients, like planning out how something's going to go, but you know, contacting a, a stone through like three different companies to try and get the stone made, you know, in New Mexico. And I was making the flowers and then I flew there and put them together with a neighbor who had a torch. We put all the parts together and we actually, this is so funny, but we had to, for the oxygen, for the oxyacetylene tank, the neighbor, I asked them to maybe make sure they had everything. 
oxygen was empty. My mom had been on oxygen. So we oh my gosh. Oxygen, medical oxygen. Medical oxygen from her. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. It was like hanging around in the storage shed, you know. Yeah. Uh, and this neighbor was a real MacGyver kind of guy that was sort of helping me. And uh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So that was the moment that was pretty extraordinary. And I wanted to go back a minute. I mentioned that I published this book of my mom's poetry. This also happened after she passed. Yeah. And there was this day that we had done all the work and we sent it in to the publisher. And then I, I hear this, you know, noise at the door. I was on a phone call and they had left this package. Well, it was the books. Hmm. And so I open the door, I get the book, I open the envelope. I'm sitting, having my tea in the morning, the sunlight streaming in. And I'm, I open the book and I see the cover and I see all the illustrations and I see the biography I'd written for my mom. And it was like tears just started streaming down my face. And it was such a combination of tears of joy and tears of sadness. How amazing to fulfill the legacy of somebody. It didn't happen in their lifetime, right? How extraordinary. And then at the same time, how sad that I didn't get to look at it with her. You know, how proud and how happy she would have been to look through and the, the way that we picked out the poems and the, the images. And, you know, it was just like soaking it all in. Oh, yeah. That's so poignant. I mean, it's like, there's a lot in that. And for you, what do you feel like the project created or released for you? Like, what was the healing of it? Well, for me, <laughs> I have some procrastination tendencies as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked around and I was like, who's going to finish my projects? <laughs> so it was like the year after my mom passed, I had, I had this like massive, I, what was great is I had a solo exhibition that was planned for a year and a month after the date of my mom's passing. A year and a month and like four days. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, yeah. So, you know, my mom was a very kind of mystical person. I mentioned she was a Sufi. Yeah. And she's very connected to the elements and to nature. And, you know, a lot of unexplainable things happened in my mom's presence. Mm -hmm. So... You know, there's a couple layers, but what, what, what I will say is I really sunk myself into my artwork. And there's a term that I created, which is meditation in the making. And so, you know, there was the poetry book, which came, you know, two years after she passed. There was yeah. the memorial stone that came, her birthday was in September. So it was about a half a year after her passing. Mm -hmm. And within the year after her passing, I created a massive body of work. I had the solo show in this very large space. You know, like, I think it's uh, over 65 feet in one way, almost 100 feet in another direction. It's a very large gallery yeah. space. And I convinced the, the gallery owner that I was going to have this show. And he gave me a lot of creative freedom, right? And... Um, so I'll go back. There was the day. So, so, what, so one of the big things was I, I, I got present to what are some of the dreams that I have in my own life, mostly as an artist, right? What are some of the dreams that I have that I want to be alive for and fulfill and get to enjoy? You know, no one's coming to finish my sculptures. For right. Me. right. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to have that big museum show. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You know, like, 
want to enjoy those moments. And so it gave me this, like, I'm going to call it like a superpower. And so I gave myself this carte blanche, you know, just this space, you know, I kind of cleared a lot of things from my calendar, a lot of commitments, a lot of things where I assisted around and, and I just really got into my studio practice and I like to work in the middle of the night. And I also called it midnight dreaming. There was mm. a song that I would listen to. Ethio jazz is the style. And I, I can't think, Miklit, Miklit is an artist, an Ethiopian American artist. And I, I would listen to her and, you know, I like Pandora. A lot of musicians think Pandora is terrible, but I like it because you pick a genre and then yeah. it's, a mixed, it's like a mixed tape. You know? takes, it takes you along a journey. Yeah. So I would listen to music and I would work through the nights. It's great. I'm looking at a piece, you know, over here. I'll just kind of give you a little view. It's uh -huh. apart a little bit right now. It's yeah. two, two panels. I know the viewers can't hear this, but. but I know. We're going to need a visual display to go along with this one. There's going to be some snapshots. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. So there was a moment I was in Mexico at a, as a retreat, right? A yearly annual the wisdom vacation course. And I'd been with my mom six days before that. And I was really debating, is it going to be okay to go on this trip? What if she passes while I'm there? You know, but we, mm -hmm. we couldn't tell. And I hemmed and hawed. And then I said, I'm going to go. So there I am. And I have this beautiful, probably the most beautiful hotel room I've ever stayed in. It's like a pool that comes right up. There's a little patio. And I brought my watercolor paints and a sketchbook with watercolor paper and some gold leaf. You know. And I had decided I was going to make a painting every morning, every day. So there I am, I'm sitting my, eating, drinking my tea, again, drinking my tea. And, uh, which is funny, because I make tea, there's tea bags in a lot of my artwork. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking over here at that. Is that, that's the healthy version of Jackson Pollock with his cigarette butts, like embedded in his paintings. Well, they, they kind of hold the place for, I practice like Native American uh, sweat lodge ceremonies and, and whatnot. And so we always make prayer ties. And so the tea bags are kind of like a stand-in for like the prayer ties, you know, uh -huh. medicine, and I'm a yeah. teacher. You know? So, so there I am. It's the morning, and I'm about to make my first painting. I'm staring at this beautiful view all the way to the ocean, and there's this kind of wall, this half wall between me and the next, you know, hotel room and um, resort room, whatever. And so this bird comes and it lands, and you know how sometimes like an animal has a little conversation with you where it stays a little longer than you think it might. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, looking at you and checking you out. And yeah. 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 Checking you out. And, you know, flashback, my mom had a lot of animal interactions, balls of snakes, mating bears, you know, she would commune in nature a lot by herself. And there were a lot of interactions with animals. There's a whole set of poems all about that in the book. Yeah. And uh, so this bird visits with me for a bit. And I don't know exactly what kind of bird, but the mythological bird is the raven, right? Mm -hmm. The messenger, Loki. And so I decided it was, a, it was a raven. And I made a painting about this bird. And then the day goes on. We have the beginning morning opening of this workshop. And, and I created this whole environment around my mom, like, there was a question like, what's something that you're proud that you're accepting or something? And I said that I was proud that I accepted that she was really ready to pass. Mm. You know, and I said that in language and I created, my mom did this extraordinary beadwork. It's really weird. I have everything right around me. My mom did this extraordinary beadwork. And, uh, and so I created inviting some of our 
some of my friends, you know, who were at this 800 people, right, to wear them for the cocktail party um, that we'd have that evening before the dance party. And so there we are, and it's dusk. Is that what it's called? When the yeah. sun about to set? Yeah, dusk. It's dusk. And uh, like, I, I was supposed to meet four or five people. And then like all the, oh, what do you have? What do you have? What's that, Karina? And so then it was like this whole thing where all these people were trying on these beautiful, you know, very regal pieces and then wearing them at this beautiful cocktail party in the sunlight, with the ocean. Yeah. And I wanted, my intention was to bring my mom's spirit into the space. And so we, we have this whole evening and, and then people give me the necklaces back. Some of them decided they wanted to have them forever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we have this dance party and I like, I was just dancing and it felt so good to like be in my body and dancing in the pool, you know, all of the fun. And then I go back to my room and it's late. It's probably midnight. And my dress was damp and I was going to change dresses and go back out and party some more. And, uh, and I had a text when I got back and it was a text saying that my mom had passed mm. and, and she, and it said that uh, for some reason it also shared her last words, which were, she lived in Taos, New Mexico, and she had this view of these beautiful mountains and the sun would set on the mountains. It was one of her favorite things was dusk and to watch the colors change on the mountains. We'd say it's better than TV. And she had this gazebo built with a couch on it. And so it was December in New Mexico. So her friends wrapped her up like a taco in her turquoise blue comforter. And, you know, after we all left six days before that, it was the last thing she was planning. You know, she had this yeah. big Thanksgiving event and um, she had become like that she couldn't speak. That's how sick she was. And it, it was hard to get out of bed, but she came to and was very alert and said, I want to go out and watch the sunset. So her friends brought her outside and they wrapped her all up and they sat with her. And she was sort of, you know, dozing a bit. And she looks up and she says, oh, and by the way, it's, it's December 3rd and it's a new moon. It's a, it's a, a super moon. It's a super, super moon. moon. Okay. Yeah. She says, I'm sending this prayer to you from the moon. And then she just goes to sleep. Like the forever sleep. Oh my gosh. So then... I get this text, right? So simultaneously, while well, we'll do this thing at dusk, right? Right. The yeah. And all yeah. People are wearing her artwork around and sharing it vivaciously. You know, she's in her last moments of life, you know? And so I get this message and then it's like, we're at day one of this whole. You know, oh my gosh. Yes. Six or eight day. I don't know how many days it is, whatever. Yeah. Not a full, it's, I guess it's six or seven days. Yeah. It's basically, right? A week. Yep week yeah and it's not an inexpensive week either right and so I had to make this choice oh and then the moment right so I get the text and I'm like whoa I'm with 800 of some of my favorite people around the world and my mom used to always call the wisdom community my spiritual community so she says so I have to choose like am I going to stay or am I going to go and mind you my father died very suddenly of a heart attack when I was 30 so 18 years prior okay 16 years prior. And um, we had no time to plan. We had no idea what to do with his body. And it was the worst thing in the world to sit in a, whatever you call that, a um, funeral home and try and decide between the $2,000 casket, the cardboard box, the $10,000 casket, you know, like nobody wants to make those choices in that moment. So we knew my mom was passing. So for two years, she started planning what she wanted, you know, 
And uh, anyhow, so it was a well, we was like, we were actors in a play. And everyone was so thankful that we didn't have to make any of those choices. Yeah, you could just be with it and let things be the way that, oh my gosh, that's such a gift. We had a woven, woven willow and grasses casket, you know, basket that was her casket. Yeah. That was delivered to the house. And when we all gathered for Thanksgiving, she had us like come over and kneel in and say yeah. something. And she says mm-hmm. to me when I did that, she says, Karina, you smell like the ocean. Weird, right? Because then I come from the ocean. Yep. Fly to <sighs> Mexico. And we were in a part of Mexico. I don't even know where we were. It took a long time to get there. Yeah. Planes and a car. So I get there and, you know, all our families flown in from different places, my sister and everything. So then we have this whole ceremony that we're going to do. And, and I was one of the people to carry her. We, you know, what, we must have had some kind of a sticker or rope. Or, we had something that we had attached, you know, that we all carried. Uh-huh. There were like six of us that were picked out to be those roles. And I was one of them. And, uh, and then we had a, a, a backhoe had dug her grave before the ground froze, right? So we lower, we have this procession and there's music. And we walk out through this field on the edge of a mountain. And we, you know, we have all these flowers we've woven into, she, like Frida Kahlo or something. It's like all these flowers. And then, you know... For some reason, they decided it would be a good idea to open up for everybody to see her face one more time. I didn't like that so much. I thought we had done that part already, you know? Yeah. But anyway, that happened. And then we closed it and there were all the flowers. And then we took the ropes and me and I think four other people or five other people lowered her into a way deeper than six foot hole in the ground. And I mentioned that I practice um, sweat lodge ceremony. And so there's a practice that we have where we bless the stones before we um, put them into the fire and then eventually bring them into the lodge. And inside this blessing, we make a prayer to the four directions and then we make a prayer to the sky and to the earth and to our hearts. And for some reason, in that part where we make a prayer to the sky, I feel like conduit, right, from spirit, great spirit. And so I did that before we started bringing the dirt. And I had this beautiful cloak on that was my mom's. And so there was this moment where I reached up you know, to make a prayer. And I just had this sort of jolt, like felt this energy come through me. And one of our really good friends who was a dance uh, teacher, she took this photograph of me. And it was wild because it was this moment that lasted for a long time, but it was like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what that piece is. It's oh called Raven. And it's about that moment, those two moments where the bird came to visit. Oh, that was a very long story, sorry. Ah. Uh, those two moments where the bird came to visit and also where that spirit is coming through. And the yeah. piece, when it's put together, there's like copper in between. And it's very much about the, that space between the worlds, right? Like what we know and what we don't know. So that was featured in this solo exhibition that I had, yeah. along with 68 circular forms. So I started thinking about cells, right? We'll go back to medical science yeah. for a minute. I want to I wanna put a couple things into this because like ah. my brain is like so full. I mean, one, your stories are, are works of art. I mean, I get what you said, but like there's something and, you know, much of Heal is about what happens when we get to share our stories and connecting heart to heart. And it's not, yeah, we sometimes do the like logistics and the how do you heal and what does glutathione do in the body anyways, but like this is something so distinct and I'm loving it because telling our stories, you know, that, that those are such rituals. We still have, I mean, 
We have Facebook for Pete's sake. What do you think that is other than a giant storytelling ritual, right? Yeah. Not always the most sacredly held, but like the, it's some part of us in our humanity that that's, that's in, so integral to the way that we communicate and how we connect to others. And I think it's part of the healing process is getting to witness yeah. each other's stories, getting to share our own stories and connect in that way. I also am really present to, I wrote down a couple different versions of this, but like death is a work of art. Mm. Just the, the world that got to get created and that your mom created and that your community did and your family did around her of knowing she was passing and how she wanted to pass and all of the ritual and the ceremony. And I mean, we do have ritual and ceremony in our death process in our own country, but it's, it's different. And there's a lot we could say about how we've totally hidden death away. We don't want to look death in the face. Like most people in my community and culture have never seen a dead body. Yeah. And there was a time in humanity that, that, you know, if your cousin passed, the family took care of it. And, and, and we interacted with death so much more. And so there's, there's so many nuggets of what you said that were both beautiful, but also really poignant of like, there's worlds in there that's not common. That's not how we usually yeah. interact with those kinds of, of events in our life. It was really sure. incredible. And then to also get to bring that into a piece and create art and this yeah. exhibit and have it on display for others is just really powerful. Yeah, yeah, there was something about, something about the whole process, right? That it became, like as I started working, it, it originally, Oh, I, so my mom was a writer and she would lead these writing circles. And so she had these tickets, like, you know, like little red tickets. And then she had taped on the other side or glued or whatever, like magazine, like cut out words for magazines. They're different shapes and sizes, but they, so I, I would pick them. I was just creating ways of being in communication with her. Right? Yeah. At the height of my morning, I'd wake up, you know, and like crying in the middle of the night when I was back home, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, there was something, I got oceans of love, health, and one other word, I don't remember what it was. And so, and I would make these paintings related to it. And I, I felt very tender. And so painting to me was something that felt very good to do. Thinking and planning and engineering sculpture was really hard. Mm. It wasn't, I was just felt very goopy you know, and like I wanted to be around soft materials and I really followed that instinct and I started really, really painting a lot. And uh, I got curious for the first time about what does a cancer cell look like? Mm. What does a cell look like at all, but what does a cancer cell look like? And I started doing these little drawings. Actually, I could see these little kind of odd shaped circles that were connected. And I looked it up on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never been curious. I mean, years, I was like, yeah, my mom has cancer, you know, but I never looked at what do the cells really look like. And so it was like this way, this meditative way of drawing these cells and getting to know what it was that took my mom, essentially, yeah. right? What it was that her body was riddled with. And, uh, and then I went to this gallery. And so I started drawing these circles, right? And, and painting them. And it was a way, I can remember drawing them and having thoughts and memories flow. And then I would just keep drawing these shapes and just thinking and not thinking. Like the Dalai Lama talks about something called flow. 
And he says it, you know, when someone who's practicing science or medical study or reading or art, you know, along those lines where you, you start on a project and you keep working with it and you don't even notice or realize how much time has flown by. Yeah. And you're in that space of flow. And then I went to a gallery show and this woman had made all these pieces inspired by the lunar eclipse. You know, we were, where I live, we were at like the 98th percentile of viewing, you know? Uh-huh. And so there's this art community up in the mountains that we all went to and had picnics on the lawn. And, you know, it's very beautiful and Southern and proper and wild all at the same time. And we watched the day turn into night. And so this woman was part of this and I, I was there as well. Right. And um, so I saw these moons and it just like clicked. I was like, my mom's last words were, I've been sending these prayers to you. I'm sending this prayer to you from the moon. So these cells, I started kind of coagulating them into these very lunar type shapes. Mm. And if you look on my website, it's, oh, it's a long title. But it's, I can't even think of it right now. It's not funny. Anyway, I'll get back to you on that long title. <laughs> but, but it's this whole body of work. And so I'm distracted by that now that I can't think of what the name is. Uh-huh. I know what it is. I just can't think of it. Moment. But, I'll, do, um, I'll do a little riff interlude here of, you know, flow is actually something that I've spent a lot of time studying. And there's actually, scientists have been working on being able to capture what the actual specific brain patterning is that happens. And they've just, they've basically distinguished flow as a very specific mental state. Meditation is one of the ways we drop into flow, but artist creativity, musicians, but also any intense thinking or inspired thinking, you'll drop into flow. And it can even be in a conversation with another person where it's like something else is arising and happening. And there's specific components about it of timelessness and also like, it's a it's agelessness in the sense that there is no death, there is no birth, there's only now. Everything kind of blends together. But a lot of extreme sport athletes drop into flow all the time, and when they're there, there is no sense of a fear of death. There just is the thing to do. So those guys that do like free climbing, twelve hundred foot huge cliffs, like that's what they talk about. And there's some authors that I've been tracking for a long time that are working in a project called the Flow Genome Project, and there's these books on it and we'll have notes on the show notes about it. Cause I think it's, I actually have a hypothesis and if anybody out there is studying flow and can bring me information about this, please contact me. But I actually think like, you know, like in X-Men, like Wolverine and there's always superheroes that can like heal themselves instantly. I have a theory that I actually think we should track that our healing capacity goes up when we're in the state of flow. I think yeah. something magical on a cellular or DNA level has got to happen when that occurs. So I'm like, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That. Did you find the title? Yeah. It's Between the Deep Blue Sea and the Universe. Yeah. And there, you know, I guess that you can track life by these specific moments in time. So I started, you know, I was at the, I had an exhibition in Florida, you know, kind of in between building this other exhibition and um, it was put on by one of my students from years ago to thank me for being an influence in his life. Mm. And I was a little bit on the downside. It was around November. It was around my birthday, actually. And I had the exhibition and the artist talk, and then I booked an extra day or two by myself at this hotel on the ocean. So I spent a lot of time at the ocean, like staring out at that vast nothingness and everything all at the same time. Yeah. And you, you, know, you can't see the horizon at a certain point. It just becomes that infinity space. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in there, I realized, like, I wanted to get to know that infinity space that we call the universe or the cosmos. 
And so my work from that point forward was very much about this meditation of the making and like being, you know, astral projection, I guess, being inside that space of the universe in that timelessness. Yeah. And kind of like the universe was like the new neighborhood that grandma moved to, you know? So, and I would have dreams about the universe and I would paint about the universe. And so I painted these 68 circular forms, which you can see on my website in that between the deep blue seas and the edge of the universe. Yeah. And it happened in that moment of staring out over the waters after, after sunset and, and thinking about that space of infinity, right? And... So these circles, my mom was 68 when she passed. And so I was just going to ask, what was the 68? Yeah. She was 68. And so there was one for each year. And I thought of them as like portals to the cosmos, like little windows to look Mm in. And I had another painting and it was very much about this, this veil, right? People talk about this veil between the two worlds. Mm -hmm. So it was the cosmos. And I wanted to have these kind of layers that were about that space and then that kind of like like you know you can't quite go through the computer screen you know what I mean veil that's there and there were some ladders involved you know and I use ladders in my work a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, but there was one in particular that was about my mom's garden and uh, it was modeled after an installation from an artist called Kiki Smith called Blue Girl and in Kiki's she has this like blue girl sculpture and then this very universe looking wall that's all bronze cast starfish Mm. I made all of these flowers. So there's this one piece and it's got these ladder, this 15 foot tall ladder and it uses this foreshortening. So it starts out wide and it gets thin at the top. And, and then it's got all these flowers on the wall, metal, metal flowers Mm -hmm. and and copper and steel. And they're kind of to mimic like the stars, you know, and it's the piece that's very much about, I started thinking who's going to tend my mom's garden, you know, Mm. she's gone. My mom was known for making these massive dahlia flowers. They called her the dahlia, the queen of the dahlias or dahlia. And she lived in the desert, but she would make this oasis of a garden. And so I, I, you know, in one of the times that I visited and she was in the hospital and not at her house, I spent some time at her house and it's this emptiness that was there. And when I came back, that was in October. So I went there a lot that year, (laughs) September, November, December. Yeah. So at any rate, that was that piece was about that. And there was one other ladder piece and it was a ladder that went into a painting that had this very cosmic lunar, and it was all in purples and blues and golds and stuff. So the whole process of creating that body of work was a big part of the healing process. And so there was that meditative quality of working and kind of when you're in that vibration it was a place where I would gather communications and I would attempt at my own communications. One time she visited me in a dream, right? Mm. Shortly after this. It was so funny. She was like, it was the first time I could see her, right? But it was in the process of doing all this work. And she was all this mint green, which is my favorite color. And we climbed this mountain and there was some cart. She had some person that was like helping move her stuff. And she had like these silk pajama type loungewear on and she was like well now that we're here let's go get a massage <laughs> oh my and god you know what i mean yeah it's like love situation going on you know so 
that was like when I got the message, like wherever it is that she's gone to, she's settling in. You she's know? doing good. Yeah. I'm super present to your relationship with your mom and who she was for you and, you know, what you guys created in those five years together. And like, that's pretty remarkable. It's, it's just really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's special. I love it. It used to be special, you know, and it's like, I get to create occasions, you know, and actually just having this conversation is making me think, you know, her birthday is coming up. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's this really special day that we're doing something with the wisdom community. And I mentioned my mom's birthday, you know? And so it's like a space that she gets to live on in infinity. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Continue that space for sure. So for those of us, and actually through my own participation, actually in that said wisdom community, which is a course, and I've on this podcast mentioned Landmark before, and it's one of many of Landmark's offerings, but you know, that's, a, that's an area that wisdom gets into, and this isn't about wisdom, but it's about me, haha, is, is that I had to reclaim a conversation that I'm not an artist. I actually, my version is, I'm not the artist, my sister's the artist. So it wasn't so much just like me. It was like, no, 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 in comparison to, right? And my sister was, is an artist. She, I think, left completely to her own creative whims, would have gone to art school, but she went into information and graphic technology because she saw that as a means to, like, have a career and make money inside of creativity, which many times she laments afterwards, like, why did I not just do the thing I wanted to do? And, you know, my mother is a seamstress and literally made these incredible costumes for ballets. And my sister always has had artists around her. And I'm over here, like I was the kid clunking around in ski boots who basically wanted to climb every mountain and do all the adventurous things. And like art was that like, uh-uh. like after I got through whatever years in school I got through, I was, I was done with it. Interestingly enough, that was the story I told myself. But when I went back and looked I had done almost seven years of ceramics. I threw pottery in college for years as the way that I actually balanced that I was a chemistry major and all the physics and all the calculus and all the tough science classes. I needed to go get my hands in clay and sit there and meditate on the wheel. I would not even fire most of the things that I threw. I would just throw and then scrap it and put it back in the clay bucket and, you know, go back in the next night. And there are places where I can see artwork. I love collaging. I have actually collaged using magazine pictures since I was a kid. I have collages from my teenage years. It's been a modality I've used. I had to reclaim my own conversations about me and art. And I think a lot of people out there have that, you know, where something happened when they were five or 15 or whatever, and we make these decisions. So like, how does the normal everyday Joe or Josephette get access to art as healing? What would you say? I think art shows up in people's lives in different ways, right? Like we have, I will just say like a stereotypical version of what an artist is. They're like a painter or they're a sculptor or they're whatever. But I mean, for me, even gardening is an art, Mm. you know, in the the height of this whole COVID time, I built this, uh, this stone pathway in my backyard <laughs> just goes from one part of the yard to the next. And I get to look at it from my deck. And I felt like I could go somewhere, you know, when we were staying at home so much. But I think for some people gardening, some people cooking, 
yeah. you know, some people, it doesn't have to be cake sculptures, by the way, right? Ah. <laughs> For me, it's soup. Soup? Yes. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. soup. The trade soup recipes. Food is, food is a massive way that I have well-being, right? Yeah. But creative creative flow. Like I love to go to the farmer's market and get fresh vegetables from farm. I grow all my own herbs and some vegetables. I don't have enough space where I live right now to grow as much as I would like, but yeah. um, flower gardens, you know, some people like cloth, you know, yeah. sewing, some people shopping, you know, like some people have shopping Putting done. fashion together. There are people that have distinctions in fashion that I cannot crack my head around at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I think as far as people who don't have access or don't, it doesn't occur that there's something that they could accept in their own lives. Like what is it that brings you joy mm. that you do or create or some people it's, some people it's music, either listening to it or playing, you know, one of my, about this time every year, there's this big music in the park thing that happens and some of my favorite DJs and, you know, it's sort of like a kind of reggae and dance hall and, you know, some hip hop out there and, some kind of jazz and the other day it was like one of my favorite DJs was playing on Instagram live and you know and he has a particular style he walks around he still uses records you know and it was like that's his art is yeah. putting music together you know that's why real musicians get upset about Pandora you know <laughs> it's like the way that you put the, yeah. the order of the, the it's part of it yeah the order of the songs on an album is um is part of the whole art yeah so I think it's really noticing like mm -hmm. being present you know what is it that acts that, that, that you access some part of your creativity or even you know like hiking can be an art you know mm -hmm. i've started doing this thing right i, I, I take these sunrise hikes and the, the moment this is actually great this is one of the one of the you know embracing from the moon this yeah piece is much about coming from the moon to the sunrise. I had to yeah. make a piece about that transition because I worked the moon lunar imagery. I need to have one major piece that's like, this is my transition piece, you know, in the yeah. universe. But you know, I met I met a young woman while I was hiking and now we go hiking together. And mm -hmm. that's her space of being creative and she's got a two year old, you know, and a husband at home. And you know, for her that hiking and she envisions going on the Appalachian Trail one day. You know, that's probably her really like her art, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I love Getting that. Physically, some people, you know, like bodybuilding is their art. Their own physical self. Yeah. I love you breaking that open and having it be, you know, anywhere that we get to express our creativity. And for me, creativity is life force energy and life force energy is inherently healing or restorative. Like that's, you know, if, if no matter what you're dealing with, you want to gain access to more energy, more vitality. You want to heal some part of your body. You got to go find your access to adding life force energy, adding that vitality. And yeah, creativity could be a huge, you know, way of looking. That's a lens to look through of like, where can I bring creativity? Where do I get lit up? And you know, what does creativity lead me to? Yep. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I actually really love working with fibers too. That's another thing that opened up for me. I wouldn't have thought of knitting as art. That's like my practical brain. I didn't used to think of cooking as art either. And those have been things that have opened up for me and I've started to recognize like how much, and actually I even get snippy in the kitchen when I'm really in it. 
and someone's like, oh, let me add this, let me add that. I'm like, would you just walk up to an artist painting and just like slap red paint on the middle of that canvas? Like, I'm working here, you know? I get a little protective over my artwork in the kitchen. <laughs> but all of those places of being able to, you know, just look. And I, I think this is a whole area. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard as one practitioner. I want to do everything with my clients. I want to talk about sex with them. I want to talk about art with them. I want to like open up all these different areas in their life. And it doesn't always happen. But I just see that I think having some sort of a creative practice is as integral as the diet that you follow and your sleep routine and the way that you exercise like to me being a human being is to be creative it's in very huge part and i actually think that's a place that dis-ease in our lives or in our bodies starts to stem from is where we've cut ourselves off from our creativity and a lot of times when we talk about it you find childhood dreams that died or got killed off and when you can reignite those all kinds of cool things happen so Thanks for being one of those beacons of that possibility out on the planet, standing for art, producing art, producing artists. You train other artists, you teach, you've got workshops. Yeah, that's really awesome. If people wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to do it? I think my website is a great yeah. spot. It's karinasephora.com. Great. Um, and, you know, from there, you can send me a message. You can join my, I have a, a weekly newsletter that comes out that nice. features whatever is happening in life right then artistically. And I also have this great show that I do, the Connect and Create, and that's featured in it. Of course, I have some other social media on Instagram, yeah. Artist On Facebook, I have Karina Sephora and Karina Sephora Art and Metalwork. Okay. We'll have all of that, you know, we'll predominantly your website, but people can connect with you through that. And yeah, this has just been really awesome. I've, I've, I've had a craving to create this episode in particular for quite a while and bring this conversation forward. So thank you for helping me fulfill it. It was awesome. Well, I'm really pleased, Sarah. It's um, really a pleasure to be a guest on your, on your show. And yeah. I acknowledge you for taking all the steps with your career and developing creatively and creating a platform for other people to share their story. Yeah. Thank you. And you being such an integral, you know, healing person yourself to look at all the different aspects of what is healing, you know, from the medical point to meditation to mm -hmm. art and all the other directions you've gone in. Yeah. It's been pretty awesome. I love it. Yeah. It was a wonderful voice to bring into it. So until we do this again, Okay. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Yes. My pleasure. All right. Okay. Bye. Thank you to today's guest, Karina Sephora, for her beautiful storytelling and joyous heart. For a full transcript and all the resources of today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. You can learn more about finding your own healing by going to sarahmarshallnd.com or following me on Instagram at sarahmarshallnd. Thank you to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. We will see you next time.